This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This is Mornings with Simi on 980 CKNW. Jill Bennett sitting in for Simi. Well, this kind of takes the fun out of Cyber Monday doing the shopping with a warning that shoppers beware of cyber scams today. This warning coming from the federal government, the Communications Security Establishment, the Get Cyber Safe campaign and the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre, as well as the RCMP, all reminding Canadian consumers that they must look out for cyber threats, especially while shopping online whether it was Black Friday or today, Cyber Monday, saying that in many cases, the rush to secure those deals online can lead to you getting caught up in the excitement and you might fall victim to a cyber scam. Well, joining me now to talk a little bit more about this is Terry Cutler, a Canadian cyber security expert. Terry, thank you so much for taking some time today. Good morning, Joe. How are you? I'm very well. How about you? any better and I couldn't handle it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is good to hear. I know a lot of people will be participating, already are in those Black Friday deals, that the the time seems to expand the amount of days that we see them. Now it is Cyber Monday. How careful do people need to be as far as not getting scammed? Okay, they need to to really prepare themselves because the, the scammers and hackers are out in full force at this time of year, right? So there's a couple of suggestions I need you guys to do. The first thing you need to do is make sure your computers are up to date. Make sure the software updates are applied um, and all the patches, what we call them. And then look at your antivirus. Um, Make sure that's also up to date. Don't use any of the free antivirus stuff. Um, And then make sure your passwords are secure. Okay, a lot of people use really lousy passwords like a John123. And you really want to create passwords that are way stronger, which has a mixture of uppercase, lowercase, and symbols in them. And you want to have between 60 and 25 characters long. Like, I know what you're thinking, right? This guy nuts. Like, how do you remember a password this long? But if you can think of song lyrics or phrases, for example, I had a great day at work, 2023 exclamation point. Right? Simple phrase. Remove the spacing, capitalize each letter of the word, and that password alone will take 10 years to break. Hmm. Unless people are listening to it and are going to try and use that one. So maybe something like that password? <laughs> yeah, don't use that one, but 10 million people have it. <laughs> That does seem like a lot when you, I, I know, I, I think when a lot of workplaces have, you, you have to have a 12 character password and people find that onerous. 16 to 25 does seem like a lot. Yeah, but there's another piece you need to, to turn on. Okay, this is, And this is the most important part, because when, when you start receiving phishing emails, in this, because the scammers are going to come after you to get access to your Amazon account or, or get access to your password, there's a feature that's enabled or capable of enabling on every account you have called two-step verification. This is where you're going to activate your cell phone number into the service um, in which, let's say you want to log into your bank or you want to log into Amazon. Um, It's going to ask you for your username and password and then a code will come to your phone or it's going to use the authenticator app to type in a six-digit code to match this because when the scammers are sending you emails, you click on links you're not supposed to, uh, it's going to ask you to log in somehow. And as you try to log in, the scammers are seeing your stuff in real time, what you're typing in. 
At that point, they can log into your bank right away and buy and, and get access to your account and drain it. Even if your bank, uh, the login for your bank was a different password? Yeah. Well, it depends because if they see you typing it in, mm-hmm. that's what they do. They, if they see you type it in, um, then they'll gain, they'll gain access to it as quickly as possible. All right. And so with the two-factor notification, I've often wondered about that. Does that, because it it almost feels like it gives you a bit of a false sense of security, but does that actually, that layer actually does make a difference? Look, I mean, there's no silver bolt to stop a hacker from getting in. The only thing you could do is is, um, is slow him down. So it does does deter him, uh, but there are ways to bypass it. You know, of course, there's one thing called two-step verification fatigue. It's where somebody got access to your 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 Zoom password, and all of a sudden, on your device, you start getting, "Is this you? Is this you? Is this you?" And eventually, you're getting hundreds of these messages, like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's me." And the moment you click accept, you've gained you, the other guy's gotten access to your account. Hmm. All right. And so is that the, the most common as far as you mentioned, too, with it being Cyber Monday, people in some cases are going to be inundated with deals. Not all of them will be scams, but really trying to figure out which one is OK, which one is legit and OK to click on. Yeah, this is the tough part <laughs> because you need to start looking at these, these deals. And if it's too good to be true, it probably is. So look for signs like, hey, this product has nothing but five star reviews. There's like no negative reviews on this thing. Um, and it's not from a, maybe it's from a, an ad you saw on Instagram or something. Um, be cautious of that because a lot of people are not receiving their items uh, or they're just stealing your passwords or your, your, your credit card numbers and reusing it. And are, has there been an increase as well in, and, and you kind of touched on this, companies or, or scammers, they look like legitimate companies, whether it's say it's a t-shirt company or it's something and they know that you've searched for these things. So it's like a targeted ad, but you, you go to buy something. Now you've, you've actually given them your credit card information and then they just disappear. There's a lot of that. It's, it's, they're called lookalike domains. It's where the website looks like your, your company or the company you're trying to search for, except it's misspelt. And, um, and the website could take 30 seconds to clone it. And once you're on there buying items, um, it's very, very hard to know that you're in a scam. They made it really difficult. And in a case like that, so if you, if you see something like that, is it better to kind of never click right away or see it go and, and try and find the legitimate website and, and find it that way? It's either going to, there will be one, or you, you realize at that point then that this is a complete scam, this isn't even a real company? Yeah, you really need to do your research. Uh, Google the company, Google the phone number to see if there's any um, like 100 scam reviews against it. Um, so I'm sure a lot of folks have already reported it if there is one. Um, and also look for, like, when you're shopping on, on a site, there's a little lock in the top corner. Make sure that lock is turned on. A little, it's called an SSL lock. Um, you want to make sure it's activated because if it's not, that means that they can intercept your, your transaction when you, when you enter your credit card number. All right, so look for the lock in the corner. What other advice would you give people as far as uh, keeping themselves safe and not becoming uh, a cyber victim? Okay, another thing is around public Wi-Fi. A lot of folks are shopping um, either from the, from, the, from the shopping centers uh, as well. So when you connect to these free Wi-Fis, there might be what's called a fake personal hotspot that's been turned on. It means you're connecting to some scammer's Wi-Fi, and as you're interacting with the website, you might be able to intercept uh, what you're typing in. Um, another place you can go to, um, and I get this question a lot, people are like, well, how am I supposed to keep up with all this stuff? There's a, there's a free app that exists in the App Store for both Apple and Android called Fraudster. 
and um, you get up-to-date information with the latest scams and frauds to watch out for. Okay. And uh, and so by doing that, you mentioned as well, too, when they can intercept your credit cards or get your information, how often do you think people should be checking or, or running, uh, checking their own credit and making sure that somebody isn't using a credit card or hasn't made a credit card in their name and, and maybe doing that without you even knowing? Okay, so there's a couple of things. Um, when you re- always check your, your credit card statement, obviously, but look for little transactions like 13 cents, 5 cents, like little low amounts. These are what's called pings. This is where your credit card has mostly like, uh, likely landed on what's called the dark web. The dark web is where the, the, it's the cyber criminals realm where they, they buy and sell people's identities. And if you start seeing low amounts like that, that means your credit card is ready to be frauded at some point in the near future. So look for those little signs. So if you see, say, a 13 cents or a 5 cents, uh, that's a sign, then contact your bank immediately? Correct. All right. Well, it's uh, good advice. I know it can be scary talking about all the scams, but uh, also uh, pretty important for people to be prepared and ready for this. Terry, thank you so much for joining us and talking more about this today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, Canada's spy agency is out with a warning saying there is an alleged Chinese plot to recruit Canadian government officials and academics. This was an alert that was sent to federal employees saying that the People's Republic of China is likely using a recruitment campaign to try and acquire Canadian knowledge and expertise. Joining me on the line now to talk a bit more about this is Vincent Rigby, former National Security and Intelligence Advisor to the Prime Minister, Vincent, thank you so much for taking some time this morning. It's my pleasure. Good morning. Good morning. How concerned should people be or or should we be about this warning that's coming from CSIS? Well, I think Canadians should be very concerned. They also shouldn't be particularly surprised. I think that this has been a story that's been out there for a while. The fact that uh, China is trying to, as you say, get hold of our expertise, our knowledge, our intellectual property, and use them for their own advantage from a scientific point of view, an economic point of view, a military point of view, or security. Um, This is something that they're quite transparent about. I think what's interesting about this latest development is just how brazen it was and the fact that they're looking at actually trying to recruit Canadian public servants. Um, again, not a surprise completely, but uh, the Chinese are nothing if not transparent in terms of their of their ambitions. And when you look at that, so this was an, a recruitment email, and the subject line apparently was 2024 invitation for overseas talents to apply for the Global Excellence Scientists Fund in China. Would something like that, I mean, should something like that be a bit of a red flag for anybody who is on the receiving end of it? Well, you would certainly hope that anybody in the public service, given everything that's happened over the last couple of years, would immediately go, okay, this is not what it looks to be. It's not, it's not innocent. It's coming from China. Uh, there's, something, there's something behind this. The government has really been trying to tighten up the guidelines around uh, Chinese research um, in Canada, um, the collaboration that Chinese entities have with research institutions, universities, et cetera. Those guidelines have been tightened over the, over the last couple, couple of years. They're not aimed exclusively or explicitly at China. It's, it's country agnostic, but it's pretty clear that the government is uh, being very, very, very careful about any funding it provides for entities from China that have links to the Chinese military um, or national defense 
or public safety or security agencies. So a public servant, uh, I think, would be aware, most public servants would be aware that the government has been cracking down on this kind of collaboration, and hopefully it would have set off alarm bells. But CSIS is not taking any chances, and they did the right thing. And I know that there was a quote from a CSIS spokesperson as well, that they did send the alert to all federal government departments, and that at this point, it was unclear if any Canadian government employee has actually applied to this talent program. And again, this program, uh, which asked for a lot of personal information, it promised uh, some pretty big salaries, anywhere from 95000 to $374,000. Surely CSIS, though, could they not figure out or have a way to figure out if any employee has actually applied to this? Um, that's a good question. And it's, it's, it's difficult to say because you could apply to this program completely offline. Um, for example, a public servant who decided they were going to pursue such an offer would not necessarily do it on a government computer, uh, would not necessarily do it at the office, but they would do it at home. And uh, and pursue it in that in that fashion. So is it a possibility that, uh, that this could be happening? Yes. The extent to which you can monitor it is always is always a bit of a challenge. But the other thing to keep in mind is that there are hundreds of these Chinese programs in terms of research collaboration. And um, I mean, one of the most famous or infamous is the Thousand Talents Plan. And so this is just one of, of many where they 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 reach out to Canadians and and residents of, of other Western countries. This is not just a Canadian problem, but a, but a G7 Western Alliance problem. And they try and recruit uh, people to, to conduct this kind of research and then to co-opt the intellectual property and the knowledge these people possess. And so this is, this is happening. And uh, this is one of the great challenges in, in trying to figure out who is actually um, pursuing these activities, who is actually signing up to these, these plans and, and, and programs. So it's, it's, it's not as simple as it, as it looks, but I'm, I'm sure that uh, CSIS is following it very closely. And when they get people, or if they are successful in getting, say, a federal government employee to sign up to this, is the idea then that they're recruiting that person and that person becomes a knowing player in this, or are they recruiting that person and then doing it in kind of a secret way through that person getting access to more information? Well, it can be both, I think. Um, I think some people knowingly show up or knowingly sign up um, that uh, this is probably not about board and that potentially they're going to be exploited. Others, I think, can be quite naive and go, well, this is just a normal research collaboration. I'm a scientist and uh, I, I want to conduct research. And let's be honest, China is cutting edge in terms of, of innovation and research in some in some pretty sensitive areas around artificial intelligence or quantum science or biotechnology, what, 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 what have you. So it, it, it just depends. But uh, certainly these programs in almost all cases um, often have an espionage element to them and they do have a nefarious purpose attached to them. And that's why CSIS sent the alert out to send the warning that the people don't, don't, don't be fooled by this. This is not just some, innocent uh, little research collaboration that is all above board and is a completely, um, you know, at, at the end of the day is, is, is not supporting the Chinese government and potentially the Chinese military. And, and Vincent, just one other question about this in that CSIS appears to be more open with these warnings. Is that a good thing that we're seeing a bit more transparency there? 
I think it's a very good thing. Um, I, I think that uh, CSIS has been moving in this direction for, for a number of years, even when I, I was still in the job as a National Security Intelligence Advisor. Uh, we had discussions about CSIS had to be as open and transparent as they possibly could. And I think they want to be even more open if they possibly can. I think a lot of uh, universities and research institutions will often say CSIS is telling us to keep our eyes open, but they're not giving us enough detailed information. And I think CSIS would like to try and give more detailed information, even classified information, so that uh, instead of just, as the CSIS director said recently, just, instead of just crying wolf, you're actually saying we've, we've got an issue and you need to specifically look out for this. Uh, one of the one of the the um, things that the ICED minister recently said was that uh, they were looking at actually naming foreign institutions, universities from from China and other countries that uh, that you had to be careful about that that were up to no good. And so to be that explicit, uh, so that uh, universities, research institutions, public servants know what to look for, I think that would be extremely extremely helpful. All right, Vincent Rigby, thank you so much for your time this morning. My pleasure. Have a good day. You too. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, the truce between Israel and Hamas is now into its fourth and possibly final day, even though there is mounting pressure and more calls for both sides to extend the pause in fighting. So far, it appears that the numbers are Hamas having released 58 hostages and Israel having freed 117 Palestinian prisoners. So what happens next with this ongoing conflict? Joining me on the line is Dr. Doton Russo, an Israeli who is now living in El. Alberta, also former legal advisor for the Israeli parliament and a criminal prosecutor in Israel, currently a course lead in philosophy at SATE. Dr. Russo, thank you so much for taking some time this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Good morning. Uh, when you watch this and see how things are unfolding and uh, looking at the, the truce, the ceasefire and the calls for the extension, how do you respond to that? Well, of course, the Israelis are very happy to uh, see and to welcome those hostages back. As you uh, all know, uh, among them, or the vast majority of them are children and elderly people, including three years old uh, child who uh, that their parents were massacred, probably in front of their eyes. So this is obviously something which are, we are very happy about. Uh, but at the same time, we are concerned because uh, this uh, ceasefire allows the Hamas, this terror organization, uh, to uh, uh, reorganize itself and to prepare itself for the future. Uh, sorry, go ahead. So, uh, so in that sense, of course, there's uh, mixed uh, mix feelings. Uh, but uh, in terms of what is about to happen, I think there's no question the Israeli uh, government stated very clearly that uh, it might take another one or two days as long as Hamas will be willing to release more hostages, uh, at least 10 a day. Uh, but once this will be over, uh, Israel will go back to fight uh, this terror organization uh, for, uh, and, and uh, uh, implementing the two uh, main aims. Uh, of this war, and that is uh, to release the hostages and to um, make sure that Hamas will not remain in power in Gaza after this uh, after this war. I know that we we focus so much on on Hamas and what Hamas is doing, uh, and I, there was a report in CNN that I saw earlier as well, saying that part of the, the the complications here is that there are other terrorist groups that are also holding hostages hostages, and those groups are are not part of the negotiations or not part of this truce, and that's making things difficult. Is it, it does it, does that make sense as far as that things being much more complicated, even from what we're seeing? 
Well, definitely it is complicated. Hamas is not the only organization, a terror organization that uh, take control or is responsible for the hostages or holding them. There's also the Islamic Jihad. Uh, but uh, Hamas is, uh, is definitely the one to make the decisions there. So as long as uh, Hamas uh, is interested in releasing hostages, it will be able to force his will on other uh, groups uh, as well. And when we look at the numbers as well, like you said, children being held and some of the images that have been coming out and and people have been really taking issue, well, taking issue with a lot of things. But seeing those images and, and the children holding hands with with the Hamas or members of Hamas, it's it's sparked a lot of anger or a lot more anger. Is what What is the when we see those images, what goes through your mind? Well, this is, quite, of course, uh, quite astonishing. There's no question that uh, Hamas is uh, uh, making those uh, pictures to uh, portray itself as a humanitarian uh, or a kind of a humanitarian uh, organization. Uh, we should remember that uh, this, uh, this uh, terror organization launched its attack on October 7th, massacring 1,200 people, uh, among them children, elderly people. He burned people alive. He... Um, uh, he beheaded little uh, babies. This is all documented. Uh, he raped women and young, uh, young women and so on. And uh, not only that, but also he kidnapped 241 uh, people, among them uh, children, such small children. I think this is unprecedented. Even, even by the standard of ISIS and those terrible organizations, uh, this is really unprecedented. So this is the kind of people that we are dealing with, which are really they are, um, the most uh, satanic, barbaric organization that you can think of. Not only that they were doing all this, they were celebrating this. They were, the reason that we have this all documented is because they themselves, they filmed it and pictured it, sometimes online and sending the photos of the burning families and so on to the people, to the contact members of the people, of the victims, right after taking their phones. So you can imagine again what we're talking about. So obviously those pictures, which are very well, um, you know, orchestra and uh, prepared by the Hamas, uh, is public relations, but uh, of course everybody understands. I think everybody with a common sense and uh, with a minimum basic knowledge knows exactly who we're dealing with. What are the chances? Do you think that we will, even if we see this truce extended, that that, that the fighting is it possible? Do you think that every hostage could be returned before uh, the Israeli Prime Minister continues with with the fighting, and that uh, he has said he is going to continue until victory? Well, chances are very low because uh, Hamas uh, demands the release of all his uh, prisoners, uh, terrorist prisoners, which is about about 7,000. Uh, among them, terrorists who committed, uh, committed uh, terrible crimes, uh, exploding uh, buses and killing uh, people in coffee shops and so on. Israel will not be able to release all those people. So uh, probably it's not going to, Israel will not be able to um, uh, uh, to make it possible for all those hostages to be back by uh, negotiation, and eventually it will be need to be, uh, they will need to be released by uh, by force. All right, Doctor Russo, I appreciate so much you taking the time for us this morning. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This is Mornings with Simi.
Well, some more news coming out of the NHL, and this has to do with players not following policies that are part of the NHL. The latest, Marc-Andre Fleury wearing a custom mask for the Minnesota Wilds Native American Heritage Night. This happened on Friday after he was told, according to his agent, by the NHL that it was not allowed. Instead, he took to the ice for the team's game against the Colorado Avalanche wearing the specially designed mask. So what does this mean? for the controversy and will more players do this as well joining me is rob williams national sports editor at the daily hive rob thanks so much for being here hi joel no problem what's your take after seeing what happened on friday and with mark andre fleury wearing this mask <laughs> yeah i mean i think it was such an unforced error by the nhl and and it's it's kind of this the continuation of the story that really started last season when, you know, a, a small minority of, of NHL players began refusing to wear uh, the team's pride, uh, pride jerseys for their pride nights um, for various reasons. Some people cited religious reasons, some people cited other reasons. And the NHL, rather than <laughs> doing the the brave thing and doing the thing that they should have done. And I think most people said they should have done, which is continue celebrating these, these special nights. And they have and many teams, uh, you know, the Vancouver Canucks are chief among them have um, introduced special jerseys that have uh, drawn a lot of attention and, and have um, and been really great, great nights rather than continuing with this, they decided to ban all special jerseys outright. And at the time, this is in the off season. At the time, that's all they said was it was was going to be a ban of jerseys so that NHL teams would not be forcing players, uh, you know, in a roundabout way to be, I guess, supporting um, supporting the cause. And that is extended from pride jerseys, but it also extended to you know the Canucks had their Diwali night. They weren't wearing their special Diwali jerseys for that night. and now this is an extension of that, where Marc-Andre Fleury was not allowed to wear this special mask that was designed by a First Nations artist. His, you know, and it's a you know, cause that's close to home for him. His, his wife is First Nations. So um, it's a really bizarre, bizarre one here because it's not like, you know, there's only two goalies on the team. And if you're not forcing this on, on any other players, and goaltenders, of course, have, have a long tradition of being able to put whatever artwork they want on their, in their, um, on their goalie mask. And it's often uh, unique artwork. Well, and that's what I thought as well. And and from even just thinking back to, like you said, other goalie masks, they're they're they've always been colorful and have different designs on them. And I think that's one of the questions here. What 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 is different about this one? Yes, it is different. It's a specific design, and it was paying tribute to his wife and that. But it's still a helmet with a design on it. I mean, the NHL at this point is basically making up the rules as they go along. I mean, they threatened to fine Flurry, and then when Flurry said he was going to wear it anyways and pay the fine, then they threatened a bigger fine towards the Minnesota Wild. And then he wore it, and, and reports have now come out that the NHL is not going to fine anyone. So, like, <laughs> I, I, I love that Roberto Luongo had, had the best uh, comment on Twitter. He, um, 
you know, he, he responded to this. This is before Fleury wore the mask. He, he just he went onto Twitter and said, I mean, come on, what are we even doing here? <laughs> I think he said it all right there. Like, what what are we even doing? Like, who is this who is this protecting by banning this mask? Like, who, who are we doing this for? I, like, that doesn't make much sense to me. Uh, the NHL also, there, there are also two goalies that wore special uh, hockey fight uh, cancer masks. Those were allowed to happen, uh, you know, reportedly because they had worn them in the, in the past. So that seems like a, okay, sort of making things up as we go. The other thing that happened was uh, the NHL was not going to allow players to have pride tape on their, on their uh, sticks. I mean, we're, we're, ban- we're banning colorful tape on sticks now. Like, that doesn't make much sense. And when uh, former Vancouver Canucks defenseman Travis Dermott, he put some pride tape on his stick anyways, and then the NHL completely reversed its decision, and now they're fine with pride tape. So I, I agree with Longo. What are we even doing here? <laughs> Uh, so do you think this is, is it different as well? Because we're talking about a goalie. We're talking about one player who happens to be the goalie. I, to me, I, I, the only, listen, when they, when they made the decision with the jerseys, I, I, I didn't agree with it, but like I, I sort of understood it because the NHL, you know, from a business standpoint from the NHL, they don't want to have players standing out for negative reason. They don't want to have to have players answering questions on why they're not wearing pride jerseys. Um, this is not even, you know, even if you were on that side of things, even if you're like, okay, yeah, I understand they don't want, they don't want uh, players to be standing out for the, for the wrong reason, i.e. not wearing a pride jersey. You know, this is not, this is a totally separate thing. And I, and I also think with the pride tape, like if, you know, I guess I suppose that unless everyone on the team was had pride tape, and you were the one player on the team that didn't have pride tape, I could see that being sort of along the same lines as the jersey. But uh, yeah, this makes absolutely no sense. Like this is a goaltender. This is someone that is completely separate. Uh, nobody is going to be standing out for the wrong reasons in this case. It's just a nice story to have for, <laughs> for Mark Andre Fleury. And, and the NHL uh, got in its own way, and, and I'm not sure why. And so, as you mentioned, too, so they reversed the decision when it came to the pride tape on the sticks. Do you think that, and, and also the threat here of fining not only the player, but the entire team and not doing that, what, what, what's their next move in this? Is it, Clearly, there's an appetite for some players to wear, whether it's a stylized helmet or it's pride tape. Do, surely they have to relax this policy. Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that goaltenders could, you know, now that Fleury has done this, that goaltenders can do whatever they want on their on the goalie mask, and I would imagine that players can do whatever they want on their on their for their stick tape. I mean, there's not a lot of other room for individual expression within an NHL uniform. You know, like you couldn't just add something to your helmet like that, and that's never been allowed. So, like, that's fine. I, I think where we get into uh, you know where the NHL really comes off looking poor here is when they start making changes to things that you know when there were was never a rule prior. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. teams have always been allowed to have special jerseys in warm up, and now they've put a new rule in place to to ban that, and then to start 
telling goalies what they can or can't put on their goalie mask, you know, outside of something like, you know, actually offensive or, or something like that. I've, I mean, this is the first time I've ever heard of a goalie that wasn't allowed to, to put certain artwork on, on their mask and to do it for, you know, to save this for when Flurry's, uh, you know, you know, supporting a, a, a truly worthy cause that, that the NHL should be fully embracing and the NHL, you know, up, up till the season had fully embraced, like they were all, you know, all in on, on all these special nights for, for all the teams. And now, you know, at the, the first sign of, uh, you know, at the first moment where perhaps in their eyes, it became bad for business with, with some negative press about players not wearing the jerseys, you know, the reaction is to just, pull it completely, you know, it com- makes the NHL look really performative in, you know, in their support of these causes. Right. And like you said, too, just kind of making it up as they go and, and changing these rules. Rob, thank you so much. Great to have you on the show this morning. Thanks for doing this. No problem. Thank you.